And so I already gave it away a little bit in my discussion with Pete this weekend. We're looking at the issue of contentment, and you saw it on the bumper just now. We've called the talk, Be Content. Yeah, easier said than done, right? I, seriously, be content. Could there be a more difficult imperative or command that we're asked to consider in our lives? I mean, after all, our world and, and even our lives are often fueled by discontentment. I, I, let me just give you the perfect example, at least from my life, and it's found in the iPhone. Yeah, the iPhone. One minute, I can be perfectly content with my iPhone, and then Apple releases a new one. And what happens? I want it. In fact, it goes beyond that. I need that. It's a big deal for me, and I'm totally discontent. I, I look down at the one I, I have, you know, the one that was awesome just a few seconds before, and now, now that there's a new one, it's a piece of junk. But if I could get a new one, I mean, if I could get a new one, then I'll be content again. Well, here, here's the problem. It's never been true. I mean, never. In fact, I've never been genuinely happier in life. Life has never been genuinely better just because I got a new iPhone. Life doesn't work that way. Yes, sometimes technology advances enough that a new one becomes necessary. I mean, come on, things get old. But the new one will never give me contentment. Never. In fact, here's the problem, and I hope you'll weave this thought into the fabric of how you think. Problem is that wherever I am, there I am. I mean, that's the problem. If I'm discontent holding an old iPhone, well, then after the initial adrenaline and excitement of the purchase, I'm going to be discontent holding the new iPhone. It changes nothing in reality. And the same is true with everything in life. If I'm discontent in Michigan, I'll be discontent wherever I go. Because, and get this, the problem isn't the place. The problem is me. If I'm discontent with my present job or my present house, well, a new job and a, a new house won't give me contentment. Of course, there's nothing wrong with those things, nothing at all. Sometimes we need to get a new job. Sometimes we need a new house. Sometimes we need to change locations. I mean, those are a part of our everyday lives, but they will never give us contentment. Here, here's the reality I want you to see this weekend. Discontentment results from believing the lie that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. It's a lie. It's not always greener on the other side of the fence. And, and the reality is that believing that lie can get us into a ton of trouble, a world of hurt. In fact, look at the picture of this cow. I just want you to see it and look at it and consider it for a minute. I, it's a hilarious picture, obviously trying to get to the other side of the fence for the grass that's greener and all of that. But do me a favor. Look behind the cow. What color is the grass? It's green. Look in front of the cow. Is the grass really any longer, any better, any fresher than what's behind the cow? Absolutely not. So think about it. All this trouble for nothing. 
And, and here's the reality. It happens to all of us. We do the same thing in our lives as that dumb cow. In fact, sadly, this is what happened to Adam and Eve way back in Genesis chapter 3. It's what led to their huge downfall. And it's what's led to the entire mess of humanity today. They thought the grass was greener on the other side of the fence, the side that God said not to go on. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Here's what's going on. The evil one dressed up like the serpent is coming and, and tempting Eve and saying, look it, God said you shouldn't eat from that tree, not because it's going to hurt you or kill you or because you're going to die. He did it because he's holding out on you. That's the really green grass. That's the really great fruit. And when you eat of that fruit, man, it's going to make your life so much better. You got to get through that fence like the cow to that other side. So God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You don't need God. You can be like God. Just eat the fruit. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, when she saw that the fruit was greener than what she was used to eating, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and, and he ate it. And, and what happened? Everything fell apart in their lives. Everything fell apart in the world. Everyone that's followed them has been born with the nature of rebellion, the nature of sin, the nature of a loss of a relationship with God. None of us experience by birth what God created us for in its fullness. And it's because we all have the propensity of Adam and Eve to think that the grass is greener on the other side, that what other people have and we don't have is better and make us happier and more content. It's because of that propensity that God gave us the 10th command in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, where he said, you shall not covet. I mean, come on, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet, covet your neighbor's lands. Don't covet your neighbor's vocation. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't, don't covet. Stop thinking the grass is green or on the other side. It will lead to loss. This is our last talk in this series. And in my opinion, it's the perfect ending. Because think about it. We've called this series, My Plans. No, not my plans. God's plans. And it's, it's how we have to live in the tension between what comes naturally and what feels right to us, our plans, and, and the reality that God's plans, even when they feel wrong, even when it's hard to, to follow them, always lead us to the right place, to the place we long for. I mean, think about this reality. My plans are all about ways to overcome and combat my emptiness and my own discontentment. My plans are all about finding fulfillment my way, getting things that I don't have that I wrongly believe could make me happy and content, but they don't. Whereas God's plans really do lead to contentment. No matter what we have or don't have, whether we are, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever God's asking us to do, when we trust him and follow him, it leads to contentment. Here's the truth that I, I want you to embrace. Here's the truth that I have to wrestle with and I'm trying to embrace. God is the only legitimate source 
for contentment. Nothing else will do it. Nothing else will fill the space because all of our discontentment and all of our emptiness stems from the vacuum of not having God in our lives. Only he can fill it up. It's what Adam and Eve lost. It's what Jesus came to give us back. God is the only legitimate source for contentment. Nothing else will do it. And Paul, the one who wrote the book of Philippians, this letter to the church at Philippi, is the perfect example. He, he lived this out. Whether he was in prison or out of prison, whether he was poor or doing okay, whether he was being betrayed by everyone he loved and invested in or friends were abounding in his life, he found a new contentment. It's what Paul focuses on as he brings this letter to the church at Philippi to a close. Uh, look at this truth. With God, we can be genuinely content whatever our circumstances. Uh, with God, on our own we can't. But with God, we can be genuinely content, whatever our circumstance. It's what Paul's been writing about all through this letter. But look at how he anchors it in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I mean, Paul's a living example, and he shared with us the truth that with God, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what our experiences, no matter how the world is treating us, how others are treating us, we can be genuinely content with him. So, so here's the application. Here's the so what, how we can weave it into our lives. In order to find and experience genuine contentment, which we all long for, which we're all looking for in almost every choice we make and in every redirected moment of our lives, we're looking for contentment. If we're going to find and experience it, we have to learn and practice Paul's secrets. I mean, he's the one that called it a secret. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, no matter what it is. And so if we're going to find that kind of contentment, we need to learn from Paul the secrets, and then we need to make the choice to practice them. And so quickly, I'm going to just show you what he says they are. And, and then we're going to look at a modern-day example of how they can be lived, and then we're going to move back into worship. But... What are the secrets? Well, the first one, he tells us, is living through Christ. It's a secret because the vast majority of people don't live through Christ. Even though a billion people know his name or claim his name, very few of those are really living in him. And Paul says if you're really going to experience contentment, then you need to live in Christ or live through Christ. Look at Philippians 4.13. It's a very famous verse, but a lot of people don't know its context. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I mean, we as Christians, and I think it applies in principle, use this verse for all kinds of things. You know, I'm supposed to be doing this. Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And anytime there's a promise we're supposed to claim or a, an activity we're supposed to do, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when we're facing really difficult moments, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. But the context of Paul writing that sentence 
is the issue of contentment. He's saying, I know as human beings with the nature of Adam and Eve, contentment's impossible. I, I know that because of the emptiness, we keep trying to fill it with more and more and more. And no matter how much we fill our lives with, we're still just as empty. And so we fill it with more and more and more. And, and he says, but I've learned the secret of being content. And it's living through Christ. And then he says it, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We can even be content through Jesus empowering. Here's part of what Paul's saying. I am not in need of anything as long as I'm in Christ. With him, I can even do the impossible. I can be content. And can I tell you what I try and tell myself all the time? With Jesus, we can be content. We can do the impossible. Find contentment because of what he's provided for us. And I'll just share quickly two things it requires according to Paul. I mean, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. If we're going to really be living through Christ, it requires fully trusting him. We have to fully trust Christ. If we don't, if we only partially trust Christ, then we're going to be left with emptiness that demands that we keep wanting more, that we try and find contentment in something else. We have to fully trust him. No matter what we're experiencing, we can't allow the experience of the moment, the emptiness we feel in the moment to override our overwhelming belief in his promise. We have to trust him completely and we have to be fully depending on Christ fully depending on him to fill us, not thinking that, you know, the iPhone's going to do it, the house is going to do it, the, the new this or new that's going to do it, but fully depending on Jesus to be our sole source for contentment. Paul's a great example of this all the way through his journey. There was a point in time when he was experiencing some real rough times in his life. He calls them thorns in his flesh, times of great testing, and he he turned to God and he says, God, you've got to take these away from me. You've got to take these away from me. They're killing me. They're making me weak. They're, they're robbing me of, you know, contentment, what I'm longing for. And this was God's answer in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. It's basically saying, I'm all you need. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That, that is why, for Christ's sake, I now delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, even in difficulties. All these circumstances that used to make me discontent and miserable, I now delight in them because they make me weak. They help me to know I'm weak. They help me to, to have to reach out to him and trust him and depend on him. And when I am weak and trusting in him, then... I am strong. If we're going to find contentment, we need to be living through Christ. Then Paul gives us another secret. If we're really going to know contentment and experience it, no matter what the circumstances of our life, if we're going to know God's best, even in the world's worst, then it demands living for the right values. I mean, the reality is that when I think a new iPhone is going to make me content, it it just is a clear indication that my values are in the wrong place. I really think this thing has enough value to fill my emptiness, and it, and it doesn't. 
Paul's secret was that he learned not to believe that things or people or stuff or success or failure or freedom or being in prison was going to be the key. He valued the right things. Living the right values is a secret for finding contentment, whatever our circumstances. Look at how he said it in Philippians 4:17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited credited to your account. What Paul's saying here is he's going, you have to know, the church at Philippi sent him a financial gift to support him. And he said, I really appreciate what you've done. I'm really grateful that you've sent it. But I want you to know that, that your gift isn't what brings me contentment. What brings me contentment is Jesus. And what thrills me is that you are being generous, following the example of Jesus in your life, that you're not holding on to stuff, but you're willing to sacrifice it and give it in order to support me. You're giving it to God. And, and I'm telling you that I'm thrilled that that's going to be credited to your account, that God's going to reward you for that and bless you for that, that your life's going to find greater joy because of that. And he See, he's not even thinking about himself. It's not that I need it, I desire it, I want it, that it's making me content. I'm excited because you're doing the right thing and being more like Jesus will give you contentment too. Paul was living for the right values and he was simply trying to live out the teaching of Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break through and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you value is shown and revealed clearly by your heart. And when our heart values the wrong things, we'll always be disappointed and discontent. But when it values the right things, will know contentment no matter what we're experiencing. Another secret Paul indicates was key to him finding contentment, whatever his circumstances, was a, along with living for the right values and along with living through Christ, he, he knew that the only way he could be content, in prison or out of prison, being betrayed or being supported, was by living with the right view. He had to have his eyes on the right thing. He had to live with the right view. When our eyes get on all the things that we can possess and have and hold and buy in this world and we think that's going to move us forward, our eyes are on the wrong thing. Paul's secret was living with the right view. Look at him in Philippians 4, 19 and 20. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. What was his view? God, his view was that God provides his view was that God deserves glory. His view was no matter what circumstances he was in, God deserved glory and God was good. I love how he expressed it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 18. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So... We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You see what he was doing? He's saying, look, I'm going through all kinds of trauma and difficulties in life, but they're just momentary. They only last during this physical life, but 
But what I have in Jesus is forever. It's eternal. And so the way I stay content is by not looking at all that I have going wrong in the moment, but by looking at Jesus and all of his promises for eternity. And it filled him with contentment. And it'll do the same for us. Okay, so we've talked about it. We've heard Paul tell his story about it. We've, we've tried to illustrate it a little bit, but I think it, it'd be great to see a real-world example. In fact, I'd love to share with you a real-world example from a couple who are a part of Northridge Church who, in spite of experiencing some very difficult times, are really, really seeking to live the way Paul did with contentment. Watch this. All right, so we're talking about contentment, and what better way to get into it than talking to real people living in our real world, trying to apply it to their life. And with that in mind, Roxanne and I are here, and we are joined by a couple from our church, Tom and Sarah Webb. Hey, guys. Hey. Thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate it. And Tom, we've known you for longer than we've known Sarah, but uh, Roxanne, Tom's volunteered in your ministry for a long time. Since 2006, that's right. And uh, yeah, he's been a producer for us on the weekend services, which is like our air traffic controller up there in the bridge. So yeah, we've known him a long time. Yeah, if you've never been to Northridge Plymouth, it's a two-tiered deal and there's a little windowed glass area and that's where I see Tom when I'm giving my talks. And, so, <laughs> and, and by the way, you get to boss me around a little bit, Tom. We do have um, some instructing ability. <laughs> well, that's great. So now this is interesting. Um, you volunteer, you're a part of Northridge, but tell us where you live. Well, we live in Midland, so or we live in Sanford, um, but we are about an hour and 45 minutes north of Northridge. And, you know, we've, it's been my home church for, what, almost two decades, and um, you guys are family and irreplaceable, so we commit to um, working with Northridge, attending with Northridge. We're there, you know, once or twice a month, and then the rest of the time, we're part of your online campus. <laughs> But that's what I love about you is that you guys volunteer and you volunteer in a, a position and Sarah, you do too, because you're a producer in Brighton. You are there for two, uh, two days. So how do you, how do you pull that off on a weekend? Sarah? You... Yeah. Um, basically Tom heads off first thing in the morning to hit Plymouth because you do have to be there pretty early in the morning. And I typically join him in the afternoon and, and, uh, supply all the candy. Um, <laughs> And actually view the service so that I'm prepared to execute from Brighton the following morning. So we both drive down separately. So we have our modes of transportation. And then we get up super early. Well, actually, we stay at the hotel. We have to book a hotel because the, the drive just doesn't make sense. And we utilize it as kind of a date night. So a couple times a month, we can actually really connect and eat all the yummy things that Metro Detroit has to offer. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I love that. And seriously, I mean, some people have a very difficult time. No judgment. It's a busy world. We all have different priorities and anxieties and responsibilities. But you guys are faithful at Northridge, not just attending, but volunteering from Midland. And that means a great deal. But one of the reasons we wanted to talk with you was because, well, you're in a hot zone right now. 
uh, along with all of us, you're dealing with the pandemic and quarantine. Along with all of us, you're dealing with the social unrest and stuff that's going on in America. You're dealing with your own relational stuff and kid stuff. But then Midland gets hit with these floods. And before we get into your personal stuff, what happened in Midland? Help us to all understand it. Well, basically, um, we have a couple of lakes here, which are man-made lakes. They're held back by dams. And um, the dams were, you know, older and they um, failed. So Midland had, and Sanford is the town where the, the last dam is, they, you know, they basically had about almost 40 billion gallons of water come at them in the matter of a day. Um, so went down the river and it just devastated communities here. Um, they had to evacuate 10,000 people. And um, there are people that have pretty much lost everything. So That's it, crazy. So tell me how many gallons of water came at Midland at one time when those dams broke? Almost 40 billion. I think it's like 38 billion gallons between the two lakes. I mean, two full lakes basically emptied out into the river and went downstream. That is, I, I can't even imagine the, the damage. And uh, I want to ask about your personal situation living in this area. In fact, living in the town where the last dam broke. Um, where, where do you live? I mean, what's the status of your house? So we basically live in Sanford. Um, we are a quarter mile underneath the, the last dam that broke. So all 40 billion gallons came through that dam. And um, we just finished a new house that we've been building for two years. Um, we're built up. So we lost pretty much all the finishes in our lower level. I mean, it's a lot of money. We don't have insurance for it. So it's a, a personal responsibility. But it's just money, right? People, we, we walked around the community in Sanford and people are devastated. Their houses are detached from their foundations or they're gone, they floated downstream. Um, we were not impacted like that. Um, but we did have, you know, quite a bit of financial loss and, and yeah. that um, is significantly, uh, it's annoying, right? Yeah, I wanna, I wanna tease this out a little bit because context is everything. It's like, you were working on the home for two years. It's a new home. Imagine, I mean, you're building a home and designing it. It's like kind of a dream deal you've got going on. And how long had you been in the house when the dams broke? Three weeks. Three weeks. And actually, three days prior, we finished the lower level. Like Sarah and I spent the whole weekend, you know, putting everything where you want it to go so that your office is ready and everything like that, so it, it had been done for three days. And um, yeah, it was quite the event. Well, you, you mentioned that the evacuation was quite an event. Tell us about that, how they evacuated everybody. So Roxanne, it was really interesting. I mean, I've never been through an emergency or an evacuation like that, but um, basically, you know that really annoying sound your phone can make every time there's a missing child? <laughs> yeah. In 200 miles of you. Um, that went off multiple times and then, you know, air sirens went off. You'd hear the police going around neighborhoods with their sirens on, helicopters flying overhead. And I live on, you know, 10 acres of woods. I mean, I'm not used to hearing anything, let alone that type of um, basically commands to leave your house. So we, I had about, um, Sarah was out of town. I think I had maybe a half hour. I didn't know if there was like a tidal wave headed for my house, if like what yeah. was going to happen here how quickly I need to get out, right? So I gathered, I called Sarah, I said, what do we need to get out of here? And we 
Coke Club would fit in the car, and I left. I'm hoping so, that the first thing she said was, well, you, Tom, first and foremost. Right? <laughs> I did. Do you actually have time to do this? And when he gave me the confirmation that he had a few minutes, you better believe my picture boxes are in the blank, the basement, the blank that grandma made me when we got married. Yeah. Um, you know, all of those little pieces and just listening to him so frantically on the other end of the phone mm. and, and not being there to be able to help him was just, it, it was not a situation. Even greater anxiety. I know with Roxanne yeah. and I, if we were separate, it's one thing together, you, you know, converge your energies, but it's like when you're separate, you're then worrying about each other. And it's amazing. But, You've already said some things that really apply to at least my thoughts of what Paul's trying to teach us in the book of Philippians when he says, I'm content in every cir circumstance, whether I'm in need or I have plenty. And, and you've already said, it's like you've already expressed concern for other people in Midland, which is uh, a big deal. You've already said, hey, it's, you know, stuff and it's a hassle and frustrating, but it's like not the end of your life, even though your dream house just got messed up. and I, I'd really like to go into that a little bit. I mean, I, what is the mindset? I mean, what happens to you in you? Is it something that you have to go, okay, my faith is real, eternity is real. Do, do, is it conscious or unconscious, the securing of contentment? Right. So I think that there's a couple of things here. So this event happened about 5, 36 o'clock at night. I left um, and I spent the entire night worrying about what happened to my house, not able to sleep you know, kind of in that that place of despair of not knowing, right? So by five o'clock in the morning, I came back, I saw the damage, um, but on the way back here, I saw the devastation elsewhere, what happened to other people. Um, and although, I mean, I don't want to minimize, yes, I was really annoyed, right? And I'm still rather annoyed <laughs> that I have to deal with this and it's a lot of money and, um, you know, it, it sets us back several months of things, you know, that we've already done. But um, later that day, I took a walk down to the dam and I looked at what actually happened and the road being gone and the people's houses and their stuff floating down the river. I wasn't impacted like that. So where I arrived at after taking a walk was, um, it's not my money. I mean, it's God's money that I've been blessed with. Um, it is it's not really even my stuff. I mean, I'm just kind of the caretaker right now of it. And then there are people that are devastated and need our help, right? So that's where I got to. And then um, Thera was there later that day and we later walked down ourselves. And, you know, I mean, what you said. It's insanity. Um, and, and just to add to Tom, just from the perspective. Um, I've spent the last several years really, really trying to hone my perspective and actually feeding on some of your previous talks, Brad. You've done a lot of speaking in regard to the unseen um, and that, that reminder that we do need to refocus through a lens of eternity and in the scope of eternity and being able to set back to recognize we're spiritual beings having a temporary physical experience it really helps you refocus that perspective. Um, it, beings, perspective is everything. It, it really is. And I love that because that's exactly what Paul's foundation for having contentment was. He says in the beginning of the book, for to me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And then he's ending this chapter by saying, hey, God provides everything we need. And Tom, you were saying it's not my stuff, it's his. 
and we wrestle with our humanity and with what we see. And by faith, we grab onto the unseen. But Roxanne, you were telling me something mm -hmm. interesting about Tom when Northridge decided to go and partner me. Well, I just text you. <clears throat> I called you, but a week later, I text you said, how are you doing? Is it getting better for you? Whatever. And you said, yeah, I heard Northridge is coming to help out with Samaritan's Purse. Uh, how do I sign up? And I was like, that is so cool. Because how many people would, would be doing that when you've got your own mess to clean up? I just right. was so proud of you guys. And it was, I was so proud. I mean, thank you. But that's, what, that's our response, right? We, yeah. I mean, the benefit is you're going to help other people. And it actually makes you feel better, too. So, <laughs> you know, that was a whole day of me not dealing with our um, issues and just impacting other people that were actually devastated. You know, and along those lines, I mean, the next morning, like our phones started going off with our Northridge friends um, trying to help. And it just, it's been such a blessing. And that, that, that's, the, that's the real thing of it is if you do focus on that eternal perspective, it makes it far easier to see the blessings that come out of it. To get those phone calls, to have you know somebody I work with in Brighton say, hey, I've got a crew of five guys we can get in the car right now. Um, to get those texts from you, Roxanne, of, hey, our Home Depots aren't getting stripped right now because of flooding. Do you want us to run you some equipment or something along that line? Yeah. Um, to be able to actually see them because regardless of the situation, those blessings are there. Mm -hmm. Those little miracles are there. Can you step back far enough to view them through that lens? Right. Yeah, that's neat. By the way, that's one way it really pays to go to church an hour and a half away <laughs> because if you get devastated, they're not maybe, and they can come and help. I like <laughs> that is crazy. I, I just want you guys to know that for a long time, you've been an impact in my life just because of your ongoing faithfulness. It's one thing to have a couple lives an hour and a half away, be faithful for a while. It's another thing, like you said, Tom, going on two decades. And uh, you mean a lot to me. We care about you. I, I love that you're with the frustration and the annoyances and the hardships. And I'm sure you look at each other in private and complain a little bit, but I love that you're looking <laughs> through that to the unseen. I, I'm, I'm learning from you. I'm grateful for you. And I, I think your whole Northridge church family feels the same way following this conversation. Right? And we love you both. I mean, you so much. <laughs> yeah. all right, guys. Well, um, is there anything that we can especially pray for you guys and Midland for, for during this time right now? I think that, you know, pray for the community. And um, if you're gonna pray for us, pray for us on how we can help, right? I mean, we're gonna get through the issues that we have here. Um, pray for the community because there's long-term devastation. There's lack of insurance. There's people without houses with banknotes. I, like, I don't know how people recover. And there's a lot of people here helping, which is just tremendous. But um, I think that's where we probably focus our prayers is for the community and for those individuals and for their recovery. That's and for that, the people who are helping, like when Northridge comes up, that we show the light of Jesus to them. So if they don't know him, you know, we will be the, that impact. That's awesome. You got it. In fact, before we say goodbye, uh, I'd love to pray for you. Can we do that right now? 
Jesus, thank you so much for Tom and Sarah, for their lives, their faithfulness, their commitment, and their friendship. And I just ask that you would pour grace into their lives. They're very generous, generous people. I just pray that you would help them to experience your touch, your presence, and your grace in their lives. And I do ask that as you solve their challenges and help kind of flatten the mountain that they have to climb, that you would use them to wake their community up to the fact that Jesus, you love them, to wake their community up to the truth that in Jesus, we can have all that we need forever, even when things aren't going perfectly. And we do pray for the Midland community, that you would do great things, that you would help people find you, discover you, and that you'd protect people. And we'll thank you for it. And for the Northridge family, help us to keep showing your love and telling your truth in devastated communities like this and to our own neighbors. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wasn't it great hearing from Tom and Sarah? Seriously, I, to see their response to that unbelievable loss and difficulty they're experiencing in, it, it really is a modern-day picture of what Paul was trying to give us here in the letter to the church at Philippi. And, and I just want to remind you that we saw the failure in Adam and Eve, and of course we retain that propensity in our nature. We're so easy to think that something could replace what really only God can fill in our lives. And, and then Jesus talked about how we're supposed to have the right values and the right view in life. But then Paul comes along and he gives us the perfect picture of it and the principles for it. And so we can see it in biblical characters. We can see it in modern day people's lives as they deal with great difficulties like us, which means we too can experience it if we choose it. And so it really boils down to us just asking ourselves those vital questions. And the first vital question is, am I living through Christ? And so can I ask it of you? Are you living through Christ? You know, I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. And if you're already a Christ follower, I mean, that's a challenging question, and I hope you'd consider it. But some of you are here, and we're so glad you're with us, but you've never experienced living in Christ. You've never experienced him taking away your guilt and your shame and giving you new life. This is your moment to begin living in Jesus. and That's why he died on the cross, so that he could take all the consequences of our sin and darkness away. And it's why he rose again, so he could give us, implant in us, a brand new life, but we have to ask him. We have to trust him. And so I'm going to pray. I want to invite you to pray with me. Whether you want to do it out loud or in your heart, just make my words your words to God, okay? Just say, Jesus, right now, I'm making the decision to live my life in you and through you. I, I don't deserve a relationship with you. I've failed. I've sinned. But that's why you died on the cross, to forgive me. So I'm confessing my sin and asking you to forgive me. It's why you rose again, to give me new life. And so by faith, I'm receiving the new life that comes with you living in me. And I just ask you to help me now to live through you, to experience what only you can give me, genuine contentment, life, and life to the full. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me, you'll see it on the screen. You can just text us. 
and we would love to send you a New Testament Bible, some ideas about ways that you can build your relationship with God. You just have to let us know, and, and please know we're going to celebrate and Celebrate what you've done and pray for you, okay? But there's a second vital question we need to ask. If we're really going to experience contentment, Paul's second secret was about having the right values. So we need to ask ourselves, am I living for the right values? Are you living for the right values? And then the last vital question is, are you living with the right view? Because if you're living for what's seen, you'll never experience contentment. Life changes too much. Things come and go too much. But if you're living for Jesus, for the eternal, for the unseen like Paul, it doesn't matter what happens to you. You can know contentment. And here's the right view. No matter what we're experiencing in life, God is always present. No matter what we're experiencing in life, God is still working. No matter what we're experiencing in life, God is still providing. And no matter what we're experiencing in life, God is still in control.